Now, perhaps, like me, you have been shocked to see just how many foolish people, even in our own country, are supportive of those wicked individuals who want to destroy Israel. It's been kind of shocking to see that. But as Christians, we can be confident of this, believers. God will deliver Israel. And I want to just share a couple reasons for this confidence of ours. One reason is the proof of history. Okay, Godless people have long hated the Israelites, long before Hamas ever did. I mean, we could think all the way back to the ancient Egyptians, right, who enslaved and mistreated the Israelites. But God powerfully delivered his people. Or we could look at examples like Haman, who, during the reign of the Persian Empire, Haman wanted to exterminate all the Jews. <laughs> and boy, did he fail. Go read the book of Esther if you want to learn more about that. Or we could fast forward from that time and look to the time of the Romans. In A.D. 70, Rome destroyed Jerusalem. The Jews were, were driven from their homeland. Sixty-five years later, the Roman Emperor Hadrian wanted to remove the memory of Israel, and so he renamed their land to Palestine. But despite all the hatred, despite all these hardships, the Jews miraculously have survived down through the years. We fast forward, and all of us know how Hitler tried to exterminate the Jews. He succeeded in killing six million of them, but the Jews remain today. Well, then in 1948, the Jews, they finally received some of their God-given land back. The nation of Israel was reestablished. Well, as soon as that happened, five countries attacked Israel in what's now known as the Arab-Israeli War. But guess what? Those enemies, they failed. Then in 1967, three nations gathered against Israel in the Six-Day War. Again, Israel was victorious. In 1973, two nations came against Israel in the Yom Kippur War. Israel was victorious again. Time and time again, people have tried to destroy Israel. You know, one author put it well. An author once wrote this. He said, The Egyptians... The Babylonians and the Persians rose, filled the planet with sound and splendor, and then they faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greeks and Romans followed and made a vast noise, and then they were gone. Other people have sprung up, held their torch high for a time, but it burned out. The author went on to say, but the Jew saw them all and survived them all. And Christians, the reason for this is because God has delivered Israel time and time again. History proves it. And the second reason for our confidence that Israel will not be destroyed, that Israel will remain, that reason is God's Word. In God's Word, the Bible, we find many of God's promises and prophecies concerning Israel, the greatest of which is this great outpouring of salvation that will take place among them in the future. So we are confident, as God's people, that Israel will not be destroyed. The God who has delivered them countless times before will deliver them again. Now, having said that, church, let's continue to lift Israel up in our prayers and to praise God for his great deliverance. And as we do that, Christians, let's remember that God is our deliverer, too. You see, many times as Christians, we see how God has delivered his people uh, in history and in scripture, or maybe we see how God has answered the prayers of our friends and wonderful things like this, but then we start to think that maybe that's not the case in our situation. We believe in God's great power and in his saving grace, 
but we forget about it in our own lives. And so my prayer this morning as we turn to Psalm chapter 40 is that we would see why we as Christians need to remember the truth that God is our deliverer. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me there. Psalm chapter 40 is where we are going to be. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 451. Page 451, Psalm 40. Let's look there together. It opens by telling us who the author was. This is for the director of music, Psalm of David. Verse 1, he writes this. David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Now hold on right here for just a moment. David, David said that he cried out to God from the slimy pit, from the mud, from the mire. Now, if you know some of David's life story, then you know just how many pits of despair he found himself in his life. On more than one occasion, he was running for his life from his enemies, finding refuge in the wilderness and in caves. His family was taken captive by enemies. The nation experienced civil war at the beginning of his reign and towards the end of his reign. He suffered grievous issues with his children. There were many times where David found himself in some pit of despair where he cried out to God and God rescued him. Now, which time was this that he's talking about in Psalm 40? Well, we don't know. We say that a lot with the Psalms, don't we? If you were here last week, I said the same thing. What was the son of Korah going through? We don't know. And I want you to see the, the joy in that, by the way. Uh, sometimes that makes it easier for us to relate to the psalmist because probably none of us have ever taken refuge in caves or been on the run from kings or had to restore the unity of a nation. But all of us have been stuck in a pit at some point in our lives. Some situation where we felt like we were sinking deeper and deeper into the mud and the mire, where we felt stuck. We don't know what David had gone through that he was thinking of, but he remembered it, and he remembered that God had delivered him. And Christian, I want you to remember that as followers of Jesus Christ, we were each once stuck deep in a pit, trapped in the mud and mire of our sins, sinking deeper and deeper into our rebellion, headed for an eternity separated from God in hell. And then we were delivered by God on that day that we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Never forget that deliverance that happened in your life, Christian. I like how one Christian from China described his salvation one day. He was trying to describe it while also explaining to someone the difference between Jesus and Confucius and Buddha. And this is how he described his salvation. He said, I was down in a deep pit half sunk in the mire, and was crying out for someone to help me. As I looked up, I saw a respectable, gray-haired man staring down at me. Uh, he had the marks of a pure heart on his face. My son, he said, 
well, this is a dreadful place. Yeah, I said to him, I, I fell into it. Can you help me out of here? My son, he said, I'm Confucius. And if you had just read my books, followed the things that they said, maybe you wouldn't have ended up in there. The man said, I looked at him and said, yeah, yeah, sure, but I'm here now. Can you help me out? And then Confucius was gone. Soon, he said, I saw another form approaching. Another man looked down at me. He had his arms crossed and his eyes seemed closed, yet at the same time, it seemed as if he was looking to some far off distant place. He said, my son, he said, just close, close your eyes like me. Fold your arms and, and be as still as you can. Forget all about yourself. And then you'll be in a, a perfect state of rest the way that I am. The man said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. When I'm out of here, can you get me out of the pit? And then Buddha was gone. And he said, I was just beginning to sink into despair when I saw another figure above me, different from the others. He was very simple. He looked like the rest of us, but he had the marks of suffering in his face. And I cried out to him. I said, can you help me? He said, my son, what's the matter? And the man said, before I could even answer him, he was down in the mire by my side. And he wrapped me up in his arms and he pulled me out. And then he rested me and he fed me. And when I was finally well, he didn't look at me and say, now don't go doing that again. No, instead he said, hey, we're going to walk together from now on. And the Christian said, and you know what? We've been walking together ever since that day. Christian, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he lifted us out of our bondage to sin. And he cleaned us up. And he pardoned us from hell. And then he started walking with us through this life. He delivered us from sin and hell. And like David, we need to remember God's past deliverance in our lives. In fact, perhaps you might see many ways and times that God has delivered you, rescued you from some situation. But Christian, the greatest rescue is that rescue from hell. And when we remember that deliverance, we ought to say this with David. Look at verse 3. David said, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Listen, all, all those who, who look to God, instead of looking to their own strength or worthless idols to save them, those who look to God are blessed. Because not only do we find ourselves delivered, but we find ourselves having a reason to rejoice. Now, sure, there are plenty of people who rejoice in their false idols. They rejoice in their sinful pleasures and in their selfish motivations, but their rejoicing never lasts. No, because as soon as things get hard, their song fades away. They don't have a reason to keep on singing, but it is not the same way in the Christian life. Have you, ever, have you ever read in the book of Acts, this is in Acts chapter 5, when the apostles, they were preaching the gospel, and because of that, they were flogged. And when they were done being flogged, it says that they left rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for Jesus. They rejoiced. 
Uh, later in the same book, Paul and his friend Silas were sharing the gospel. They were doing ministry, and then they were just beat silly and tossed in prison. And they're sitting there in their chains and shackles, and it says that they were praying and singing hymns to God. What is it about this singing that springs forth from the heart of God's people? Where does this come from? I read a story as a teenager that I'd never forgotten, so I tracked it down this week because I wanted to give you the right details. And it's the story of how in the 1950s, there was this group of Christians in North Korea whose faith was discovered by the government. So those government leaders dragged the Christians out in front of this big crowd, and they demanded that the Christians recant their faith or die. The Christians said they weren't going to give up their faith. Well, so those government officials brought in a steamroller powered it up in front of them, forced them to lie down, gave them one more chance to recant their faith or die. And again, those Christians refused. And as they were crushed to death, they used their final breaths to sing a praise to Jesus. Christians who are walking closely with the Lord find that not only do we have a new song in our mouth, a hymn of praise to our Redeemer and Deliverer, but that that song doesn't disappear just because we find ourselves in some new pit, new trial in this life. Now, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean that we won't have times of mourning in our lives as Christians, but it means that we will still always have a reason to rejoice. How could we not sing a new song, Christians? How could our hearts not be filled to the brim with joy when we, when we can look back and see the many ways that God has delivered us in our lives, especially that great deliverance of our salvation? Every Christian has a new song to sing, and when we remember our deliverance, we're going to be found singing it, just like David was. Look at verse 5. David continued, he said, Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. You see, Christian, God's, God's great deliverance in our lives, our salvation, is the only reason we need to praise Him, but it's not the only reason that we have. Well, the truth is that God's done many wonderful things in our lives and in history for his people. If we would take time to consider his works, we'd realize oh, there's just too many of them to count. Well, there's no way that we could declare them all, but that shouldn't keep us from trying. No, we should constantly look to sing God's praises, not just in church, not just on Thanksgiving Day, but every day. So David said this in verse 6. said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Well, then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is written within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness 
from the great assembly. Keep your place right there in Psalm 40. At the beginning of the section that I just read, by the way, it's, it's quoted in the New Testament book of Hebrews. And there, those verses are applied to Jesus. Jesus, who, who obeyed the will of the Father and offered himself as a sacrifice for us far greater than the sacrifices of the Old Testament sacrificial system. In fact, the Old Testament sacrifices were always meant to point to the coming Messiah. Now, David may not have realized the prophetic gravity of the words that he was writing, but what he did realize is that what God desires most isn't sacrifice. You see, David realized that God wasn't just looking for people to go and make sacrifices and to go do things at the temple and to pray because, well, that's just what we do. That's not what God was looking for. In the same way, God's not looking for people today to come to church and to sing songs because, well, you know, the words are just on the screen, you know, and and to listen to sermons because, well, that's just what we do. And he's not looking for people who are going to obey his commands begrudgingly. God wants our hearts. That's what God desires most. And when our ears are open to the truth, and that truth sinks deeply into our hearts, well, then our hearts are going to begin to long for God. And that's when our, our praise and our worship and our obedience and in David's case, his sacrifice, that's when those things become pleasing to God. And here's why this is important. You see, as those of us who have experienced God's deliverance, we have a new song in our mouths. But don't sing that song to God out of obligation. That's not what he's looking for. Believers, he wants our hearts. He wants sincere Worship from us. That's what he wants. Sincere worship. Back when I was in high school, part of the basketball workouts that my coach would put me through included lifting weights. And he did this thing where sometimes I'd be in the middle of an exercise, I'd be lifting, and he would decide that I wasn't being challenged enough. So he would add weight while I was lifting. But here's the thing. I didn't always want to do more weight. Sometimes I didn't have a great day. I didn't feel like pushing myself very hard. So I would exaggerate when I was lifting. I would breathe really hard, and I would make it look like I was really struggling. And every time I did that, he would say, whoa, hey, hey, hold on a second. And he would look me in the eye and add more weight to what I was doing. (laughs) And he would tell me to start over. Because what I found is I could never fool him. My acting wasn't good enough. He knew that I wasn't being sincere. And here's the thing. We can come to church and we can act genuine in worship. We might fool other people, but believers, we will never fool God. He sees our heart. And he doesn't want us just moving through the motions. Instead, as we remember his deliverance in our lives, that should lead us to sincerely praise him for his deliverance in our lives. In other words, we don't just have a song to sing. We should want to sing it. We should want to proclaim his saving acts in our lives and his righteousness and his faithfulness. And one of the places that we do that is the assembly, the assembly of God's people. Believers, why should we seal our lips? Why should we keep our mouths closed when it comes to singing God's praises in churches? Why should we do that? Now, I know some people say, well, Andrew, you just don't get it. I don't have a very good singing voice. Believer, you want to know who gets that? This guy. 
I understand exactly what you mean. But we need to remember, we don't come to church and sing for the person next to us. We don't come to church and sing in the hopes that maybe Emma will notice us and pull us up to be in the praise team or to sing a solo. That's not why we do that. We're singing because Jesus Christ saved us from sin and hell. We're singing because his goodness has been demonstrated to us over and over again in our lives. And now all of us, like David, should say, I can't help but sing your praise, Lord. I can't help but sing about your salvation. Now understand, I'm not trying to shame anyone into singing this morning. We should sing because we're in love with God. Because we remember his deliverance in our lives. But believer, I think we do need to understand, if we are too embarrassed to sing about our salvation in church, then we are absolutely going to be too embarrassed to tell people about salvation outside of the church. But when we remember how God rescued us in the past, the more we consider that, the more prone we will be to be found praising him in the present, no matter what other people say, and no matter what we are going through. That's important because maybe... Maybe at this point you've been thinking to yourself, you know, that sounds nice, and that sounds all good, Andrew. It's easy to talk about praising God when you aren't in a pit, when you aren't going through a difficulty. And that's true. It's it's easy to talk about it when you're not in a pit. But church, I want you to understand, um, David was in a new pit when he wrote this psalm. Yeah, he remembered what God had done in the past, but he was in a pit as he wrote this. Because here's the thing, new trials will come into our lives. They did for David, they will for me, for you, for every Christian. The question is, then what? Then what are we supposed to do? We should do what David did. Look at verse 11. David continued his prayer. He said, Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. You know, at the beginning, David said that those who trust in the Lord are blessed. We don't always feel blessed, do we? Especially not when we're in some new pit in our lives, when we find ourselves in some new difficulty. But David was in a pit, you see? And he knew the reason. He said, my sins have overtaken me. And the truth is that sometimes we're in a pit and we know why we're in that pit. Sometimes it's because we know that we're facing the consequences of our sin. We know that we're in this pit because of an addiction we chose not to fight. We know that we are in a hole that we have dug for ourselves. We know that we're facing the result of years of bad decision making. And then, of course, there are times where that pit is something out of our control. Our health problems or the persecution for our faith. We find ourselves, though, in a pit and there's troubles without number and we feel like we can't see. We feel like we can't see the way out. We feel like we can't see what God is doing. We need to remember that we can always look back and see what God has done before. We can always remember how he has rescued us in the past. The way that God saved us. The way that he's delivered us from temptation and sin and sickness. 
And believer, if that remembrance leads to a heart of praise that yearns for God, then when we face those new trials, we're going to do what David did, and we're going to go to God for deliverance again. That's exactly what David was doing. Look at verse 13. He said, Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. So what did David do in this new pit? He cries out to God, his help and his deliverer. And and notice that David says, I am poor and needy. I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about who David was. David was a conquering king. He led thousands of troops into battle, experienced countless victories. He heard the people literally sing his praises. David had power. He had wealth. David was a guy who had it all. And then he says, I'm poor and needy? There's something important I want us to understand in there. You see, the problem that I find for so many of us Christians today is that so many of us, when we find ourselves in a pit, instead of looking back on what God has done, we start to look to ourselves. And we find ourselves in this trouble and we say, well, I can do this. I I can do this. I can claw my way out of this pit. I can work my way back to God. I, I can do this on my own. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can do this. Instead of coming before God, as poor and needy and humble and dependent servants and saying, God, I'm nothing without you. God, I, I need you. God, I'm in a pit and I know that I'm, my actions put me here. And God, I need your forgiveness. And God, I need your grace. And I need your help. And I need your mercy. We need, like David, to learn to depend on God and go to him for deliverance. Why? Because he's delivered us before. Why wouldn't we go to him? We get this mindset that we, we can do it all on our own. A couple years ago at Christmas, my son was given one of those little electric driving cars from his grandparents. And um, he's gotten pretty good at driving it. Pretty good. To the point that he doesn't think he needs me anymore. Uh, he... Uh, wants me to stay away. Says that he doesn't need me. Our neighbor's dinged up mailboxes would disagree. <laughs> it's true that he's gotten pretty good at driving it, but I, I still make sure to stay close because I know that at any moment I'm going to need to reach in and pull him away from some danger. And so often in our lives as Christians, we foolishly try and go it alone. And, and so we, we rush into danger, we fall into these pitfalls of life. Thankfully, God is always with us. Many times, he's just waiting for us to simply look to him and cry out for help. Believers, listen to what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says. 
says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And believers, why wouldn't we look to him? Why wouldn't we look to him in the circumstances we find ourselves in? He's rescued us before. Every Christian can point to their salvation as evidence of that, if not to countless other times, that the Lord has rescued us from trouble, that he's healed us, that he's restored us, that he's comforted us. So believers, remember his deliverance in the past. Praise him for it in the present so that in the future you will be ready to go to him for help in your time of need. And what about when he doesn't deliver us? Sometimes God allows us to stay in some difficulty. Sometimes we cry out and it feels like he isn't delivering us. And like David, we feel like we can't see. We need to remember David, even as he wrote this, David had experienced in his life both rescue and heartbreak. You know, some Christians, they have health issues that don't go away. Some Christians have mental health struggles that don't fade away. Some Christians have broken relationships that seem irreparable. Some Christians go through things they feel like will never end. But believers, in those moments, I want to encourage you, do not stop remembering what God has done and praising him for it, and do not stop trusting him for the situation that you are in right now. Keep in mind that David trusted the Lord even when he was in a pit, even when he didn't know how or if he was going to be rescued from it, he still trusted the Lord. Trouble didn't prevent David from singing to God, it actually led to him singing to God. Church, last week we looked at the fact that life is like a roller coaster. And we talked about how we need to choose to put our hope in God. And this morning we see why we should put our hope in him. He's our deliverer. And because of that, the truth this morning is this, church. It's really simple. But the truth for us is that by remembering our deliverance in the past, we'll know what to do the next time we're in a pit. Because we're going to be in the pits of this life. Okay? The problem is when we forget what God's done in the past. So by remembering our deliverance in the past, we'll we'll know what to do the next time we're in a pit. And what is that? Well, we're to praise God for what he's done. We're to proclaim his saving grace to others. And then we should trust him in our present situation. Remember what he's done. Praise him for it. Proclaim that salvation to others. And then trust him in the midst of that difficulty. So believer, look, no matter what situation you're going through right now or what pit you might find yourself in soon, no matter how desperate, how stuck you might feel, we need to remember that as Christians, we have been rescued by God. That means that he's greater than our circumstances and our enemies and our trials and our hardship. He's greater than whatever pit we find ourselves in. And that truth should lead us to praise him and to trust him No matter what comes next, because believer, God is our deliverer, and he always will be. Maybe you're here this morning, believer, and you find yourself in some pit. And you feel like you are just sinking deeper and deeper into it. I want to encourage you, just a moment as we sing this final song, cry out to God. 
Maybe you just need to stay sitting in your seat and cry out to him right there. Ask him for the help, the mercy, the grace that you need. Maybe you want to come and pray here at the front. If you do that, I'm certain that other Christians are going to come and pray alongside you. They don't have to know what you're going through, but they'll pray for you. They'll pray with you. Uh, believer, maybe you're here and, and you're not going through a pit. You just want to praise God. I'm going to encourage you. Do that during this final song. Sing out your praise to God because He rescued us. He rescued us. And as we sang earlier, with every breath we are able, we should sing of the goodness of God. And maybe you're here and you've never experienced that rescue. What I mean by that is you've never received that forgiveness that God is offering you. You are still in that pit of your sin. Jesus is not your Savior. And friend, if that's true for you, what you need to understand is that if you remain that way in your life, if you remain in that pit of sin, then when this life ends and you stand before God, you're going to be separated forever from Him in a place called hell. That's some bad news. And, and, and you need to understand that there is no way for you to get yourself out of that pit on your own. You cannot climb out. Not by enough good works can you earn your way to God. And there's no one in this world who's going to save you. There's only one. And He's Jesus Christ. The good news is that Jesus came to this world and died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried and then three days later powerfully rose from the dead. And Jesus stands in heaven right now waiting to lift you out of that pit. Rescue you from your sin, forgive you of those things that you've done, rescue you from the penalty of hell, and begin walking with you in this life, and after this life to walk with you for all eternity. Jesus gave his life for you. The question is, are you willing to give your life to him? The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And friend, if you've never done that, we want to make sure you have the opportunity before you leave. And believer, make sure that you cry out to God in praise or by asking Him to deliver you. Whatever it is that you need to cry out to Him for, let's do that together. Would you pray with me? If you're here and Jesus is not your Savior, never received that forgiveness from Him, you never put your faith in Him, but you, you know that you've sinned against Him. You know that you're in that pit, those sins have piled up around you. You know that you're separated from God. If you're ready to change that, friend, please understand that no matter what you've done or what you've been through or what pit you find yourself in right now, Jesus Christ is willing and able to rescue you. He wants to rescue you. He's wanted to rescue you your whole life. And if you're ready to give your life to Him, you can follow me in a simple prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your commands. I know that I'm in this pit of sin and I can't get out. But Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you didn't stay in the grave, but that you rose from the dead. And Jesus, today I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to be my Savior. I'm ready to leave that life behind and start walking with you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who made that decision, they would share it with someone before they leave. And for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, Father, help us to remember we're in those pits of life and things get hard. We're in some difficulty, whether it's because of the things we have done or just because of this broken world we live in. Help us not to fall into the foolishness of thinking that 
we don't need you. We can do it all on our own. Instead, help us to be quick to come before you as poor and needy servants. Help us to remember the ways that you have delivered us in the past so that we be quick to praise you when we're in the assembly of believers and when we leave the assembly of believers. Help us to be eager to proclaim our salvation. We have a song to sing. I pray we'd be faithful to sing it. And I pray you'd be glorified because I pray that that song would be sincere in our hearts, Father. Father, we love you. We know you love us more. You proved that when you sent your son. And if any of us struggles to find something to be thankful for this week, let that be what we praise you for, for our great salvation. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.